Hello everyone and welcome to the Consumer Review Report. I'm Diane Rebecca here on WMCK.FM Internet Radio. Well, hello. It's another week and uh, I hope everybody had a nice Valentine's. This is the February 16th, 2020 edition of the show. And uh, I... um, I had a nice Valentine's Day, and but I am hoping that winter gets over pretty quickly. I know it's probably too early to be saying anything like that, but yeah, I get the winter blues sometimes, as we all do from time to time. But anyways, here we are, and uh, if you have any ideas on any products or services that you would like to hear on the show, you can contact me via email at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if there is a product that you would absolutely like to rave about because it has treated you so well, you can also contact me uh, at uh, gmail.com. That's consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, um, maybe a product has not treated you so well and you'd like to talk about that, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. Again, on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. All right, so this show... Um, This week on the show, I wanted to talk about a story that absolutely astounded me, and not in a good way. Uh, The reason I had such strong feelings about it um, was because I had read the book Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, a Wall Street Journal journalist. Now, (laughs) this subject was about a Silicon Valley story about a $9 billion startup company that had a really good idea, but all the years they did business, they never had a working product. And they were in the medical field, which is kind of a dangerous place to just have an idea, but say that you have a product that works and you don't. And that is not good for any medical patients who may be relied on that product, right? So, uh, however, they, and by they, I mean Elizabeth Holmes, founder of the company, Theranos, and Ramesh Sunny Balwani, former president of Theranos, were able to convince people, such as former statesmen, and I think even a former military general, uh, also Walgreens and the public in general, that they did have a working product. Now, the reason that I was reminded to talk about this subject was that there was an article about this dynamic duel in this week's Wall Street Journal. So I'll talk about what is going on with them now and bring you up to speed on what led up to this by airing some audio clips that explain more about this company and their shenanigans. So that's all coming up after, of course, 
the weekly recall. So let's go ahead and get to that. All right, let's start out with our consumer product recalls. We have 10 this week, so let's go ahead and get to those. Uh, let's see, let's scroll down here to, where are we? Um, country home products. That's what we're looking for, and here we are. All right, country home products. This, um, so they are recalling DR walk behind leaf blowers due to projectile hazard. All right, so the blades inside the leaf blower can break off and discharge from the unit, posing a projectile hazard to the user or bystanders. So that's not good. So again, Country Home Products recalls DR walk behind leaf blowers due to projectile hazard. Jarrah Toys recalls bead maze toys due to choking hazard. The wooden triangle shape piece fails to meet the mandatory federal standard for small parts, posing a choking hazard to young children. Now, if you're concerned that you have any of these products, you can either go to www.recalls.gov and click on the link of the product. It will show you a picture and it will also tell you what to do, what you are supposed to do if you do have this product. Also, I've been posting these on my Facebook page, Consumer Review Report. And so you can look at the pictures there and also click on the link to tell you what you're supposed to do. Star Water Systems recalls sump pumps due to fire hazard. The sump pumps can overheat, posing a risk of fire. Sun Organic recalls wintergreen essential oils due to failure to meet child-resistant packaging requirements, risk of poisoning. The product contains um, a chemical which must be in child-resistant packaging as required by the Poison Prevention Packaging Act. The packaging of the product is not child resistant, posing a poisoning risk if the contents are swallowed by young children. Infantino recalls infant carriers due to fall hazard. The buckles on the infant carriers can break, posing a fall hazard. Rawlings recalls catcher's helmets due to risk of head injury. The back plate of the catcher's helmet can fail to protect the player, posing a risk of head injury to the user. Rooms to go recalls Patmos Chase Lounge chairs due to violation of federal lead paint ban. The paint used on the chair's metal frame contains levels of lead that exceed the federal lead paint standard. Lead is toxic if ingested by young children and can cause adverse health effects. Yamaha recalls golf cars due to crash hazard. The front wheel hubs on the golf cars can crack, causing the front wheels to detach, posing a crash hazard that could result in injury or death to the user or bystander. Textron Specialized Vehicles recalls gas-powered golf, PTV, utility, and shuttle off-road vehicles due to fire hazard. The starter generator wire can be improperly secured, allowing it to come into contact with the vehicle's exhaust, posing a fire hazard. And Phantom Industries 
recalls Harbor Breeze Santa Ana ceiling fan due to injury hazard. Now these are sold exclusively at Lowe's stores. The fan's blade holders can break, allowing the blade to be ejected from the fan, posing an injury hazard to consumers. We certainly do not want that to happen. Okay, so Food and Drug Administration recalls and safety alerts up right now. So let's scroll down to Bunt Cakes. Yeah, there's a recall on some kind of Bunt Cakes. So let me scroll down here. Oh, here we go. Allergy alert issued for undeclared milk in Bunt Cake and chocolate dipped cookies sold at 44 Whole Foods market stores in the Mid-Atlantic region. Whole Foods Market is voluntarily recalling select butt cakes and chocolate dipped cookies from stores in Kentucky, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. because they contain undeclared milk. And of course, people who have an allergy or severe sensitivity to milk run the risk of, uh, you know, not feeling well. I guess. I don't know if you can actually die from that, but, you know, that's not good. All right. So Cargill conducts voluntary recall of a single lot of Nutri-Beef uh, transition pellet due to elevated levels of monosin. Now, I'm going to skip this one. I guess I should have already skipped this because this has to do with um, beef cattle feed. And I don't think there's too much of a... Uh, a uh, want for uh, beef cattle feed except I know in White Oak there's one that raises Angus beef cows so maybe he would be interested but anyways if he is Cargill conducts voluntary recall of a single lot of Nutri beef transition pellet due to elevated levels of monosin okay new seasons market recalls grab-and-go vegetarian lasagna with gluten-free pasta due to undeclared soy this product is being voluntarily recalled due to the presence of an undeclared allergen and that is soy customers who purchase this product and are allergic to soy are urged to not consume it nuts and more llc uh, recalls plain peanut spread because of possible health risk. Nuts and More of East Providence, Rhode Island is recalling 4,143 jars of plain peanut spread because it, because it has the potential to be contaminated with listeria. And uh, they are recalling it to protect the public from a potential health hazard. Corinthian Foods recalls five pound bags of uncooked sweet potato crusted Alaska nuggets, one ounce due to mislabeling. Corinthian Trading uh, Inc. is recalling five pounds of retail bags of uncooked sweet potato crusted Alaska Pollock nuggets, one ounce. And they go ahead and put the date code here, CF35319, due to mislabeling. The bag contains chicken nuggets instead of fish nuggets. The product is packaged in clear five pound bags and they describe the bag and what it looks like. So if you are concerned that you have this product, you can go to www.recalls.gov and under the FDA recalls and safety alerts, it's Corinthian Foods. Recalls five pound bags of uncooked sweet potato crusted Alaska nuggets. Mitsa Bay LLC issues allergy alert and recall on mislabeled salad product. 
Miss Bay LLC of Swedesboro, New Jersey is recalling 1,154 cases of Ready Pack Bistro Bowl Spinach Dijon Salad due to a labeling error leading to the potential for undeclared egg and wheat allergens on a limited number of the salads. The salads contain eggs and wheat which while visible through the pack I, I don't know what the rest of that says because you have to click on the link. So, <laughs> so if uh, they have undeclared egg and wheat uh, in there, so if you are allergic to that, you probably do not want to have any of the of, of the salad products from Miss Bay LLC. Blendtopia Products LLC voluntarily recalls frozen smoothie products due to possible health risk. So they are recalling 29,078 cases of 7-ounce frozen Blendtopia brand superfood smoothie kits because of potential contamination with listeria. Lottie International America Corps issues allergy alert on undeclared almonds in choco pies. So they are recalling 11.85 ounce package of choco pie manufactured by Latte Confectionery Company Ltd. Korea, be, uh, and that's uh, from Korea, I guess, because of findings of small amount of almond in the product. And uh, packaging shows the manufactured in a facility that also processes peanut and almond. So. There you go. With that, voluntary recall notice of Sunny Select Aju Gravy Mix 1 ounce pouches due to unlabeled dairy allergen. So McCormick and Company Inc. is in initiating a voluntary recall of Sunny Select Aju Gravy Mix 1 ounce pouches due to an unlabeled dairy allergen. Save-A-Lot issues allergy alert on undeclared peanuts in Coburn Farms 4.5 ounce sharp yellow cheddar cheese, cherry juice infused dried cranberries, and roasted sea salted cashew snackers. So they are recalling 131 cases of Coburn Farms again 4.5 ounce sharp yellow cheddar cheese, cherry juice infused dried cranberries, and Roasted sea salted cashew snackers due to a labeling error leading to undeclared peanut allergens in snackers packages manufactured by Great Lakes Cheese Company, Inc. All right. Gourmet International and Butler's Chocolates issues allergy alert on undeclared milk in Butler's Irish Whiskey Dark Chocolate 3.5 ounce tablet bar. They are recalling approximately 1,900 units of the Irish Whiskey Dark Chocolate 3.5 ounce tablet bar because it may contain undeclared milk. People who have an allergy or severe sensitivity to milk run the risk of serious allergic reaction or illness if they consume these products. And CJ Foods voluntarily recalls Annie Chun's Japanese style teriyaki noodle bowls due to undeclared peanuts. So. They are being recalled. These are Annie Chun's Japanese-style teriyaki noodle bowls because it may contain undeclared peanuts. Use of this product may cause serious allergic reaction or illness in people who have an allergy or severe sensitivity to peanuts. Now, there's only one FSIS recall, FSIS standing for Food Safety Inspection Service, 
Family Traditions Meat Company recalls ready-to-eat meat stick products due to misbranding and undeclared allergens. And so they are recalling approximately 270 pounds of ready-to-eat beef stick products due to misbranding and undeclared allergens. All right, so that will do it for our recall portion of the show. Um, so let's go on to some local consumer news. This was found in the Tube City Almanac, Tube City Online. And this was entitled, this is an article entitled Health Department Shutters, Portview Convenience Store. The Allegheny County Health Department has ordered the closure of a convenience store in Portview after inspectors found that the roof was leaking onto the food, including in the coolers. The closure of the Unimart on Romine Avenue was effective Friday. The health department said the building was declared unsafe following an emergency inspection by firefighters from Vigilant Hose Company. The phone at the store was not being answered on Wednesday and an attempt to reach a spokesperson was not successful. And this was published February 12th, 2020. So there you go. In other local consumer news, subscription grocery service Imperfect Foods expands to Pittsburgh. And this was written by Jordan Snowden. This was in the Pittsburgh City Paper. Have you ever passed over a vegetable or piece of fruit when shopping for produce because it wasn't pretty enough? You aren't the only one placing judgment. Even before produce makes it to the local grocer, it has to meet certain aesthetic guidelines. Nothing too big, too small, too curvy. But it's impossible to make all fresh food, fruit, and veggies grow a certain way. I guess everybody could attest to that, right? <clears throat> so, because not all produce meets grocery store standards each year, about 20 billion pounds of produce is left unsold or unharvested. San Francisco-based company Imperfect Foods is looking to cut down on food waste by offering subscription-based grocery delivery of Ugly Eats, and they recently expanded their service to the Pittsburgh region. In addition to offering fruit and vegetables, Imperfect Foods has a selection of pantry items as well as dairy and dairy alternatives like eggs, butter, nuts, and coffee. When ordering a box, customers can pick and choose what they receive, making the subscription friendly for those with allergies or dietary restrictions. All right, so unsure of what to expect uh, for my first Imperfect Foods box. This is the author Jordan Snowden's um, point of view. Uh, he said, I, well, he said, I said, send whatever. And that's exactly what they did. I got a mix of items, coffee, quinoa, almonds, cute little squashes, odd shaped carrots, apples, kale, and root vegetables the size of my head that was possibly a turnip and maybe a rutabaga. Inside the box was a sheet explaining how to properly store each item. And it turns out I was doing quite a few things wrong. And while the food may have looked a little weird, it all tasted just as it should. 
All right. So that's coming to Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, I never knew that about imperfect food not being allowed in the grocery store if it looks a little odd. And then what do you do, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, to not waste it? And that would be a shame to go and waste all that food. All right. So that's done with the local consumer news. Now let's get into the main event, if you will, <clears throat> about uh, the company Theranos and what's going on with them. So this is the this was in the news this week about that company and uh, what happened at their hearing. So let's go ahead and take a listen. new development involving disgraced Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes, a judge dismissing some of the charges against her, but she's not off the hook. She still faces trial for fraud. Rebecca Jarvis has been following this from the start, and she joins us now with more. Good morning, Rebecca. Yeah, good morning to you, Michael. Elizabeth Holmes, once the youngest female self-made billionaire before her blood testing startup Theranos went bust, is set to face criminal charges at trial this August. But a federal judge has just ruled that the government needs to narrow its fraud case against her. This morning, a victory for Elizabeth Holmes, seen here walking into a California district court earlier this week. A federal judge overseeing the criminal trial, ruling that the government must limit some of its case against the disgraced Theranos founder and former CEO and can no longer argue doctors and insured patients were defrauded by Holmes and her former boyfriend and Theranos COO, Sonny Balwani. Holmes, now 36 years old, famously dropped out of Stanford at just 19 to start Theranos. Once a rising star in Silicon Valley compared to luminaries like Steve Jobs, she claimed her technology could run hundreds of tests from just a drop or two of blood. We are the only lab company that is actually really focused on leading with transparency. Her Theranos Wellness Centers made it inside Walgreens, but it all came crashing down when it was discovered those blood tests weren't doing what she promised. Holmes seen here questioned under oath by the Securities and Exchange Commission in 2017. Suddenly, the woman who seemed to have all the answers now had none. I, I don't know specifically. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't know exactly. I just don't know. And legal experts tell me she and her team scored another big win by getting the judge to require the government to clearly identify the specific evidence against her that they will present at trial in August. If convicted, she faces up to decades in prison, and both she and co-defendant Sonny Balwani have pleaded not guilty to those charges, guys. What a court fight that's going to be. It is. Okay, Rebecca, thank you. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. Okay, so that tells you a little bit about what's going on. And um, it said in the court case that in a ruling on Tuesday, U.S. District Judge Edward Davila said he would dismiss any counts that accuse Ms. Holmes and Mr. Bawani of defrauding doctors or non-paying patients, such as those who were covered by insurance. The judge ruled the 11-count indictment didn't show that the defendants intended to obtain money from the non-paying patients or that the doctors were victims of the fraud. So that's what's going on with that. So to give you a little bit of background about all this, uh, let's go ahead and air an audio clip and now these are all videos from YouTube so if you miss it you can go to YouTube 
This one is The Dropout, Part 1, where Xtheranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes got her start. So let's go ahead and check that out. This is an investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission in the matter of Theranos, Inc. Elizabeth Holmes, grilled by 12 lawyers, investigated for massive fraud. Not how a young billionaire thought her empire would end. Please raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. It's certainly not where it began. Elizabeth Holmes was born in 1984. At the dawn of Tech Nation, just one month after the Macintosh computer, she was raised in Washington, D.C. The parents from a young age thought of their daughter as a special person. The mother worked for various members of Congress. The father worked for the State Department, mostly involved in human rights. And she looked up to him as an idealist, which is what she thought of herself as well. She wrote a letter to her father when she was nine. Dear Daddy, what I want out of life is to discover something new, something that mankind didn't know was possible. I also want to study about man and his ways. Life is really interesting. I love being with you. It's my most favorite thing in the whole world. Love, Elizabeth. I wanted to do something with my life that people thought was impossible before. At a young age, she was asked by relatives, what do you want to do when you grow up? And uh, she answers immediately, I want to be a billionaire. And the relative says, don't you want to be president? And she says, no, the president will marry me because I'll have a billion dollars. Her family was no stranger to wealth. Elizabeth is the great, great, great granddaughter of Charles Fleischman and the massive Fleischman yeast fortune. A 42-room mansion with 40 servants, polo, yachts, safaris. They helped found The New Yorker magazine and bought Coconut Island off the coast of Hawaii. They entertained Amelia Earhart, and Shirley Temple had a birthday party on their estate. But the fortune was no more. This magnificent family history that they had in terms of this extraordinary wealth had been dissipated by prior generations. So this is a picture of a young Elizabeth and her brother, Christian V. Joe Fuse was the family's neighbor when Elizabeth was a child. This is my brother, Justin, uh, young Elizabeth. No evidence as yet of the black turtlenecks. The past of the Holmes family frequently came up, and it was not hard for me to imagine that the Holmes family believed that Elizabeth was uh, restoring them to their rightful place. The Holmes moved to Houston, where Elizabeth excelled at a private school. Megan Long went to St. John's with her. They both ran track, and she says Elizabeth was incredibly driven and never gave up. Typically, when you run a race, the thing that you're going to remember is the person who gets first place. But Elizabeth always finished her races last. Everyone would finish the race, and then you hear the announcer say, don't cross the track. There's still a runner on the track. That runner was Elizabeth. She was determined to do it. 
A tutor came to the house for private lessons, and Elizabeth talked her way into college-level summer courses in Chinese, courses that weren't open to high schoolers. And she convinced people that, you know, let her do it. She really, she talked Mandarin on the phone to them, and they were stunned, and she got in. Her high school yearbook page says, dream, laugh, reach for the stars. In 20 years, trying to save the world. Her song, I'm in a hurry. All I really gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. It all paid off when Elizabeth went to California for college. She picked Stanford, which was like the obvious choice if you were interested in becoming an entrepreneur and a successful one. In the heart of Silicon Valley, it's where many tech giants started. Varian Hewlett-Packard, Sun, Yahoo. That's why it's called Silicon Valley and why it really generated that entrepreneurialism. And of course, that's probably why Elizabeth came here in the first place. Yes, I'm sure that's why she came here. Phyllis Gardner is a professor of medicine here. She first met Elizabeth in 2002. This is Wilbur this Hall? This is Wilbur Hall, where most Stanford freshmen start out. Elizabeth Holmes' first, first dorm. dorm room. Right. Well, Elizabeth was brought to me by a person who'd been the former president of Panasonic, saying to me that she was this brilliant girl and she had this wonderful business idea. She came up with an idea for this blood testing device. And the idea behind the blood testing device was that you would have a sticker on your arm and this would be constantly checking your blood levels. And then if you needed to, you'd be able to give yourself uh, an injection of whatever medicine you needed. The skin is a terrible barrier to go across. And I kept saying to her, it's not feasible. And it just went to deaf ears. How did you, she respond to the criticism? Just kind of blinked her eyes and nodded and left and then came back another time with the same sort of concept. It was just a 19-year-old talking who'd taken one course in microfluidics and she thought she was going to make something of it. Elizabeth didn't want to be told it was impossible because she loved the idea. So she went to another professor. He never allowed freshmen in, in this advanced course. And she persuaded him that she was capable of doing it. And in fact, she was. Elizabeth took chemical engineering classes as a freshman. I was very intrigued by her vision. Channing Robertson was the chair of the department. Felt it would be a really interesting uh, proposition. And he thought, hey, you know what? I see an opportunity here. Maybe, maybe you can do this, maybe you can't, but let's give it a shot. And he became a kind of a mentor to her and said to me, maybe once a century you come across someone like Beethoven. She's a Beethoven figure. He said, she's a genius. She is this rare creature. And he bet his career on it. I think he was the first enabler. He dragged her around campus, introduced her to people. And she was breaking down doors herself. This used to be my advisor's office, and I would sit here, uh, literally here in the hallway, waiting uh, for him to come back to his office to try to convince him to let me into his graduate research program. In Silicon Valley, one of the things that people brag about is that they drop out of college. I was at a point where another few classes in chemical engineering was not necessary for what I wanted to do. Steve Jobs dropped out of college. Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of college. Bill Gates dropped out of college. Zuckerberg, Gates, Jobs. 
holds. You just have the sense that there are certain people who cannot be held back. Elizabeth dropped out too. She decided she was going to actually try to build it. I think it's fair to say that, sure, it's a great idea, but it's actually scientifically impossible. But that didn't stop her from filing her first patent, the first of many. She had all the ideas, but she didn't have the cash. She didn't actually want to go to some of the traditional investors because she would have to prove that this was something that was even on a remotely far off distant world, um, something that you could do. So one person she went to was uh, this guy, Tim Draper, who was a family friend. He has made billions of dollars from his investments and he agreed to give her some money to get started. I ended up giving her her first million dollar check. Everything seemed possible in 2004, but her next idea was much bigger something that would use just a drop or two of blood and draw more than a billion dollars in investments. Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos, revolution, wow! And her company began, and so did the questions. How quickly is it before you start to notice problems? Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos. Okay, so that those were, um, Posted by ABC News. That was part one. Now here is part two. Elizabeth Holmes begins to market her Theranos devices. Again, these are posted by ABC News. Let's take a listen. Silicon Valley, built on ambition and innovation, where everyone wants to change the world and make a billion dollars while they're at it. Silicon Valley is the largest creation of wealth in a 50 square mile radius than anywhere in human history. The allure of success drew in 19-year-old Elizabeth Holmes. She had just dropped out of Stanford and had a grand vision to revolutionize healthcare by making blood testing more affordable and more accessible for all. She opened her first office in this building and named her company Theranos, a combination of the words therapy and diagnosis. But instead of that skin patch idea she dreamt up in college, she came to envision something else. We've made it possible to run comprehensive laboratory tests from a tiny sample or a few drops of blood that could be taken from a finger. She made it sound so simple. The puncture will be made the collection tubes will now be held up to the drop, and you'll see the blood wick into the channels. The nanotainer tubes are then removed, and the sample can be processed immediately. That sample was then put into a cartridge, and then placed into this portable device, which she claimed processed hundreds of blood tests, which could detect diseases from STDs to even cancer in real time. The ability to be able to use a pinprick and test you right there in a doctor's office or even in a battlefield is revolutionary. It changes everything. I said, this could be the holy grail. 
She named early prototypes of her invention the Edison after another revolutionary thinker. Elizabeth became a master at marketing. Having gone through in, in my own life, losing people that I loved, I couldn't think of anything that was more meaningful than being able to change what people go through when they say goodbye too soon. From high profile panels to TED Talks, that phrase. A world in which no one ever has to say goodbye too soon. Became Elizabeth's mantra. Build a world in which you don't have to say goodbye too soon. In a world in which people don't have to say goodbye to saying goodbye too soon. She was a good storyteller. That's part of her seductiveness, which is why she was able to raise all this money. By February 2005, the 21-year-old had already raised around $6 million. Behind those piercing eyes was a peculiar young woman who seemed to survive on ambition alone. I had this image of her as kind of like a nun-like existence, you know, black quiet, all alone. She lived in an apartment which she wouldn't let me see. She said it was just a one bedroom. The refrigerator just had bottled water in it. She had a lot of, you know, green drinks and, and you know, all this stuff that I, you know, I, I looked at and I said, oh my God, I can't. If you are what you eat, what are you? Green juice. Best word to describe you? Mission oriented. <laughs> Favorite place to visit? my office. <laughs> One of Elizabeth's most bizarre characteristics was her obsession with Steve Jobs and with Apple Computer and imitating him and the company. She even went after Steve Jobs' own right-hand man. I'd like to now welcome one of my colleagues, somebody I've worked with for over a decade, Dr. Avi Tavanian. Avi Tavanian had been head of software at Apple and was one of Jobs' closest friends. After retiring, Avi learned about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. When you find these ideas that can cut across everything, it's huge. And so clearly, if this could be made to work, then it was going to be hugely impactful. Was she selling you on the mission of Theranos? How did she come across? She was definitely selling me on a vision for what she wanted to do in this realm of blood testing and making it something that was much more accessible than it's ever been. So you joined the board? Joined the board. His involvement attracted others from Apple to join Theranos, like Anna Ariola, who had helped design the iPhone. The opportunity was altruistic. It was potentially humankind changing. And I was very curious. Unfortunately, I left 15,000 shares at Apple, but Anna might have left Apple, but to her surprise, she certainly didn't leave all of Steve Jobs behind. Elizabeth was very curious about Steve's attire, and I explained to her that he was inspired by Sony's heritage of having Issey Miyake come in and create a lot of the line manager apparel. And then I think she went off and tracked down who Issey Miyake was, and the rest is couture history. But Anna says Elizabeth's transformation didn't end there. Her voice. What she could figure out. A surprising baritone. Was that it would likely cost her a few thousand dollars to get these tests done. Was fake, according to Anna. 
We didn't know that it wasn't her voice until much later. I think it was at one of the company parties and maybe she had a little bit too much to drink or whatnot, but she fell out of character and exposed that that wasn't necessarily her, her true voice. In this interview with NPR from 2005, we hear a very different sounding Elizabeth. No, it hasn't. Well, if I use traditional words to describe what we're doing, it's hard. When she came to me, she didn't have a low voice. She didn't? Nope. What was her voice like when she came like to you? It was just like a typical undergrad student. When I next saw her again was at the Harvard Medical School board meeting where she was being introduced. She says with this low voice, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> you know, it's this pastiche, whether it be the turtleneck, the baritone, the swagger, the sense of belief in herself. You're captivated. But then, as the money poured in, the problems poured out. Suddenly, it wasn't just her voice that insiders were worried about. I never expected anyone would behave the way that she behaved as a CEO. And believe me, I worked for Steve Jobs. I saw some crazy things. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of background as to what is going on with this company and those two uh, hooligans, I guess you could call them, Elizabeth Holmes and Ramesh Sunny Balwani. Now, I have another video clip or audio clip for you guys. Uh, what's next for Theranos and its founder, Elizabeth Holmes? This was posted uh, the st from the Street Investing Strategies. This is an interview with John Carreyrou, the Wall Street Journal journalist that uh, authored the book Bad Blood. And so let's take a listen uh, as to uh, what he has to say about what's next for those two. John Carreyrou, you brought to light in 2015 in an article in the Wall Street Journal something very wrong with Theranos, a blood testing startup, and its founder, Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth was charged just a few months ago with massive fraud by the SEC. What's next for her? Well, uh, potentially uh, two things uh, are going to happen in the next few months. One is that Theranos, which believe it or not, is actually still a going concern, is going to run out of money uh, and its assets are going to be seized by Fortress Investment Group, the New York private equity firm that lent um, Elizabeth Holmes money at the end of last year. And Fortress will then liquidate the assets. It already has the patent portfolio uh, as collateral to the loan. So very likely Theranos will cease to exist uh, probably by the end of, the end of July, early August. The other thing that bears watching is the criminal investigation. There's been a parallel criminal investigation conducted by the US Attorney's Office in San Francisco for more than two years now. And my sources tell me that that uh, investigation is drawing to a close and uh, may well result in criminal indictments of Elizabeth Holmes and, and her ex-boyfriend, Sonny Balwani. Do you think Elizabeth ultimately faces prison time? It's certainly a possibility if they indict her, um, they would then, of course, have to uh, prove their case at trial. And it's probably not a slam dunk case because you know, she has uh, shown her ability uh, at convincing people and manipulating people. And so uh, she'll present a sympathetic figure to a jury and, and uh, possibly be able to manipulate a jury. The, the other thing 
uh, that uh, if prosecutors do indict her, uh, that they'll have to uh, overcome is the argument that her lawyers are sure to make, which is that she wasn't enriched by this fraud. And why was she not enriched? Because she never sold her shares. Uh, when the company was worth $10 billion in early 2015, she didn't sell any shares. So they're going to argue that as a result, she didn't profit from the fraud. Well, that's an important point because I guess at that time when the company was worth 10 to $15 billion, her net worth was upwards of $5 billion. So right. is there any estimate in terms of how much money she made over this, say, 15-year period? Well, my, my understanding is actually that the SEC levied a relatively small fine, which was $500,000, because that was essentially the amount of money that she had to her name. Uh, if she had, had, uh, she had made more money uh, from Theranos, whether it be by selling shares or uh, through a salary, they would have fined her more than that. And we should point out you chronicle all of this in your new book, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. It's out today, so we'll watch for that. Elizabeth Holmes started the company at age 19. In, in a few lines, what, what was her motivation? What was she trying to do with Theranos, and, and what went so wrong? Right. So she had a vision, uh, and it was for uh, a diagnostic device. At first, it was a wristband that would feature these microneedles that would draw your blood and diagnose instantaneously what ailed you, and then also instantaneously uh, inject you with a drug, the appropriate drug, to cure you. Um, she and her co-founder uh, quickly realized that that vision for the, for the wristband was science fiction, that it wasn't feasible, so they pivoted to uh, essentially uh, something derived from uh, those portable blood glucose monitors, mm -hmm. except she wanted it to be uh, a device that could test for all blood tests, not just blood sugar. And so that meant a, a device that would be a lot more involved, a lot, be, a lot more complex. And that was her pitch to Walgreens, which, which signed on for a huge deal with them. Right, and so in 2010, now bear in mind this was six or seven years into Theranos's life, uh, she uh, was still having trouble developing the technology, yet she went to Walgreens and she told Walgreens that she had the device, that it was ready, that it worked, and that it did the full range of tests on just a drop of blood. And that was actually when, when she made those assertions to Walgreens, it was not true. Not only was it not true then in 2010, it was not true three years later when she went live with the blood tests in Walgreens stores. And when I'm reading the book, you know, there were issues as far back as 2007, 2008. Your article in the Wall Street Journal came out in 2015. Why did it take so long for someone to call a reporter about this? Right. Well, I mean, uh, Theranos had a culture of secrecy uh, and fear that was enforced by Elizabeth's uh, ex, now ex-boyfriend, Sonny Balwani, who was the, the number two executive at the company. Um, and uh, made employees sign non-disclosure agreements. The threat of litigation was always in the air. Uh, employees knew that Elizabeth had uh, uh, sued employees in the past. Uh, they knew that uh, the, the outside counsel for the company was David Boyce, uh, you know, arguably the most famous lawyer in America. And he was sort of a scarecrow. You know, he gave credence to this uh, specter of, of litigation if anyone said anything. And so, uh, you know, I believe people were silenced by, by this, this culture of fear and secrecy and by the lawyers who were so ever-present. And now, she raised, what, $900 million over her tenure as CEO? If you count the $65 million that Fortress put in at the end of the last year, it's almost a billion dollars. Mm. So going back to the criminal investigation for a moment, is this a matter of, hey, 
She defrauded investors, allegedly, and this is why she should be prosecuted? Or is this a matter of, hey, this is just a startup that went bad, and that's how it goes sometimes in Silicon Valley? Well, it's a, it's a startup that over, it's a startup and a startup founder who overpromised and who hoped that eventually, you know, the, the reality of the development of her technology would catch up with what she had promised years before. The problem is that she, not only did she raise money based on those promises that were never fulfilled, she also went live with those blood tests. So when you, when you look at what charges uh, prosecutors may bring if they decide to bring charges, certainly securities fraud would be one, but I believe another one, another bucket of charges would be lying to federal officials. Um, the, the inspectors who came uh, to inspect the Theranos lab in late 2013 were not shown the part downstairs that had the Edison machines and the hacked Siemens machines. They were only shown the part upstairs with the regular analyzers. That's deceiving federal officials. And then I think uh, if there are charges, it may also come to include uh, conspiracy, uh, Medicare uh, fraud conspiracy charges. When we look back at some of the, the, the biggest fraud in corporate America, obviously Enron comes to mind. Right. In your view, is there any reason to equate Enron to Theranos? Is there any connection there in your view? Well, certainly Enron involved more money. It w at the time that Enron went down, it was the seventh largest company in the U.S. Theranos is just a startup in Silicon Valley, albeit one that uh, defrauded investors out of a billion dollars. But I would argue that, that uh, the Theranos scandal is on par, actually, with Enron because there's a component to it that, that the Enron story didn't have, which is that Theranos went live with blood tests that, that weren't, reliable, that were faulty, and uh, put patients in harm's way. Um, and when I exposed the company, it was actually on the cusp of going national with its blood tests. It was about to uh, roll them out to Walgreens' 8,000 other stores. And if that had happened, uh, the chances that someone would have died from either a wrong diagnosis or an unnecessary medical treatment would have skyrocketed. Mm. And when we talk about the billion dollars or so in funding, a good amount of that came from very high-profile investors. If you could name a few, that would be great. And also talk about the board and the advisors that she had, many of whom were also very high-profile. Right. So, uh, I mean, the board was a, a who's who of a famous, you know, former statesman, uh, George Shultz, uh, Henry Kissinger, uh, Bill Perry, who had been Secretary of Defense under, under Clinton, Sam Nunn. Uh, uh, James Mattis, who's now our Secretary of Defense in the, in the Trump administration, I could go on and on. And actually, this was one of Elizabeth's uh, tactics, is she surrounded herself with uh, people with uh, prestigious reputations, and, and, uh, and that gave her credibility. Um, in terms of the, the high-profile investors who invested and, and who in part were sold on the company by this prestigious board, there's Rupert Murdoch, uh, who actually controls the Wall Street Journal, my newspaper, who was the single largest investor, invested $125 million in Theranos. Also, Betsy DeVos' family, uh, our current education secretary, her family put in $100 million. Uh, the Coxes, the billionaire Cox family who control Cox Enterprises in Atlanta, they put in $100 million. Um, uh, Carlos Slim, uh, the Mexican billionaire, put in uh, $30 million. 
Um, and all that money's gone. All that money is gone. It's gone poof. And it's gone, a lot of it has gone to pay lawyer fees over the past two and a half years. So, so when I hear this list of prestigious names, I'm not hearing any doctors or folks with medical expertise. So it's a prestigious list, but it's not necessarily related to the core business. How big of a problem was that? Right. I mean, she avoided uh, venture funds uh, with experience in medical uh, technology and in healthcare, like the plague. You know, she really stayed away from them, uh, and she targeted uh, these rich uh, individuals and, and very wealthy families who, who were sort of, you know, you could crassly call them the dumb money. They're, they're certainly not the smart money in the sense that they're, they're not uh, uh, investors who do sophisticated due diligence and, and have teams of people to do that due diligence for them. So on that note, was the Theranos frenzy, uh, frenzy in terms of, the money that it raised, was that a symptom of Silicon Valley hype and a lot of the money that rushed into Silicon Valley over the past decade or so, and we see all these unicorn companies right. that are worth more than a billion dollars. Right, it absolutely was. I mean, uh, what you've had happen in Silicon Valley over the past decade is this uh, enormous flow of money, uh, in part because the Federal Reserve uh, kept rates at, at close to, to nothing. Uh, to, to offset uh, the effects of the devastating financial crisis a decade ago. And as a result, you had investors who went looking for returns elsewhere, and one of the places they went looking was Silicon Valley. That led to these enormous uh, flows of money into the Valley ecosystem, and you had startup founders like Elizabeth Holmes who were able to pick and choose uh, who their investors were and who were able to turn away uh, investors who asked too many questions or who asked unpleasant questions. And I, if I remember correctly in the book, she actually walked out of meetings that maybe didn't go her way. Right. She walked out of a meeting in, in 2004 with uh, a venture fund that actually had a lot of experience in medical technology. And, uh, you know, she, she was getting these probing technical questions from the partners around this conference table and got more and more defensive and after about an hour got up and, and left in a huff. So has there been any noticeable change in how some of these private companies are valued or at least changes in the VC community on how they're approaching some of this stuff? I'd like to hope so. Uh, all right. So that gives you a gist, again, of what was going on with all that. Pretty juicy stuff, except for when you were one of the patients getting tested by these machines. Sometimes they would get false reports back, and they would be really worried if it was not in their favor. Or they would get good reports back if they should have gotten a bad report. So it was just a whole mess, especially when these unsuspecting patients were in uh involved as well so all right so that will do it for our edition of the consumer review report um if you have any comments on this subject you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com i'm also on facebook at consumer review report and on twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any ideas of any products or services that you would like to hear on the show, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook at consumerreviewreport and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. This is the Consumer Review Report on WMCK.FM, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, Inc., 
heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at noon, and Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm Diane Rebecca wishing everyone a safe and good week.